0: If you would turn to John chapter 1, John 1, the prologue of John, our last visit at it for now. John 1, 1 through 18, following the reading of Scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one, the only begotten who is at the father's side has made him known. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. We come to the completion of the prologue, verses 15 to 18. And you will see some repetition, some overlap with things that we've considered in previous sermons and sections of this, uh, this book, <clears throat> this portion of the letter. And this prologue, and particularly the ending of it, has underscored throughout the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is unique in every respect. He's unique in his birth, unique in his life, in his miracles, in his teaching, in his death, his resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God. And this passage, these four verses, draw our attention to four particular unique aspects of our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse fifteen is shows us the uh, Jesus is unique in his supreme excellency. Uh, verse sixteen tells us, shows us that Jesus is unique in his divine sufficiency. Uh, verse seventeen is he is unique as the source of grace and truth. And eighteen is he is unique in his wondrous revelation of the Father. So the first portion is that a view of Christ's supreme excellency in verse 15 and we, we get this from a pronouncement of the forerunner John the Baptist that he cried out in a loud voice and he said this is the one whom I said he comes after me but he surpasses me. And so John is acknowledging that he Historically, chronologically, he comes before Christ. Uh, He and Jesus were roughly six months apart in age. He begins his ministry before Christ. And for a time, John was on center stage. And he was getting all the attention and all the notice. But the one that would come after him would would surpass him. And... Jesus would be supreme in his, uh, just as the master is greater than the servant, Jesus' supremacy would be demonstrated. And uh, one author says it's noteworthy for John to say this, that that whoever comes after me is is, uh, greater than me, because it was a common understanding in the ancient culture that whoever was chronologically first had superiority. In other words, the children believed their parents were smart. Now, we all go through that period of time in our life when we think we know better than our parents until you hit that other stage of your life and you realize, you know, they were pretty smart. They, They knew a thing or two that I could learn from. But John is announcing and advocating the one who's coming after me chronologically is surpasses me he's far greater than me and he gives one reason for that he says because he was before me now you might think is he talking out of both sides of his mouth he's coming after him but he was before him John here is announcing again the eternal deity of the lord Jesus christ his honor and glory as the eternal God, Uh, that he was before me in his pre-existence, in his eternal existence, that Christ is the eternal God. He had no beginning and he has no end. And he's, uh, he's affirming that. And John brings this out in a couple different places, but I'd like to just have you go to one. Turn to John 8... Uh, verse 56. Jesus is in a, a conflict with the Pharisees and they're demeaning him and uh, saying, well, we're Abraham's descendants. And so Jesus has, in John eight fifty six. he says, "'Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. "'He saw it and was glad.'" Abraham saw Christ in his glory, and the Jews were outraged. They said, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, or truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And there was a clear affirmation by Christ himself from his own lips of his deity, he took to himself the name of Jehovah, Yahweh, the, I, the great I Am. Before Abraham was, before he ever lived, I Am. Uh, he claims and he uh, says of himself, he is the eternal, glorious God. <clears throat> so we see Christ's uh, supremacy, his supreme excellency in the words of John, Uh, given to us there. The second element we see here is we see Christ's divine sufficiency. Verse 16. It says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And the word fullness gives you the idea of something that's overflowing, that's abounding. Jesus has fullness in himself. He has the fullness of grace uh, which we have all received. Uh, you can, all the, the benefits and the blessings that Christ provides, all men receive them. Uh, that's what makes the offense of the non-Christian, of the unbelievers so uh, terrible because God provides things for them and they refuse to acknowledge they come from the hand of God. It's something we sometimes refer to as common grace. God gives common benefits, the rain on the just and the unjust. But in addition to that, for his people, he enables us to appreciate the benefits that God has given to us and give him praise and thanks for those things. Uh, We have a, a depth of fullness in our appreciation for the benefits God gives us that a non-Christian can't possibly have. We're going to sing a hymn following the sermon that reflects on this, and I want to read you one of the stanzas of it, that we have an appreciation because of his goodness to us that the non-Christian can't have. The second stanza goes like this. Heaven above is softer blue earth around is sweeter green. That which glows in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Birds in song his glory show, flowers with richer beauties shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. The benefit and the blessing, the, the fullness of Christ and the outpouring of his love and mercy. Uh, it's, it's something, it's an inexhaustible fullness that we receive. Just to see a couple citations in John, turn to John chapter 10, 28, some of the blessings that we receive from the Lord. John ten twenty-eight. He says, I give them, that's the sheep, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. He gives us life. Eternal life. Uh, Look at John 14, verse 27. John 14, 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In this world we will have trouble Jesus said that. But he gives us peace to go through those troubles. And then one more John 15:11 there in the upper room Jesus says I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He gives us joy. Uh, It's out of the fullness of his grace that we've all received. And then the last phrase, the NIV has it, one blessing after another. It literally is great. It can be translated different ways. It's grace against grace, grace upon grace, grace after grace. And the idea behind this is you and I are given grace... But we're given grace on top of that, and we're given grace on top of that, and on top of it again. There's no ending of it. Another way of looking at it is when one grace tends to begin to recede, another grace comes flooding in. We're never without the grace of God. The abundance of that. There's. It's a grace that knows no interruption and no limits. And Martin Luther has a great paragraph as he thinks about that. He says, this spring is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw, but remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. Just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light, and could indeed light up ten worlds, just as 100,000 candles might be lit from one and not detract from it, just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned, and the more he gives, the more he has, so is Christ our Lord, an infinite source of all grace. So that if the whole world would draw enough grace and truth from it to make the the world all angels, yet it would not lose a drop. The fountain always runs over full of grace. This is the wonderful glory of our Savior as the the source of all grace. The, uh, The third element in verse 17, he's We see his uniqueness and his supremacy as the source of all grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And there's a contrast that John is making here between, really between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth now come through Jesus Christ. He's not pitting those together as though the law is the enemy of grace. The law is true. Uh, we need grace to have any hope of even uh, conforming ourselves to the directions of God's law. But the contrast that he's making here is the old covenant is fading away. And well, one one day in, in Jesus' uh, lifetime or or after Jesus' sufferings and death, the old covenant will end. The new covenant will be brought in by Jesus Christ and its fullness will go on forever. So what he's trying to communicate to you and have you appreciate is the wonder of the work of Christ. That as the law and as the old covenant begins to fade, the new covenant and the glory of Jesus Christ will go brighter and brighter until we're with him forever. Uh, it's the excellency of Christ as the source of grace and truth. And then the fourth thing we see is the excellency of Christ as the one, in his wondrous revelation of the Father. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten God who is at the Father's side has made him known. No one has seen God. Now, there might be some who quibble with that because in the Old Testament we have the uh, appearances of God in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. We have the angel of the Lord that would appear, for example, to Joshua. We have the appearance of God in the, the, the bush that will not burn. But the idea that no one has seen God is no one has seen God in his essential character. And it, it, it comports with the words of God in Exodus 33. Moses had wanted to see God. And God says to him, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So no one has seen God but the only begotten who is at the Father's side has made him known. Uh, God the Father has been revealed to us by the only person that has known him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in John, he'll say, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father So we have no one has seen God but the only begotten God who is at the Father's side. That phrase, there are various titles there. He's the only begotten, the unique Son of God. He's God. He's at the side of the Father. It all communicates the intimacy and the fellowship and the communion that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The intimate union and communion they have, the unity in the Godhead and the intimacy and the fellowship that they have. Some of your older translations will translate that phrase instead of saying at the side of the father, uh, we'll say who's in the bosom of the father. Because the word that's used there is the word that communicates uh, chest or breast. So you get the picture of a of a mother when their child is in distress, what do they do? They bring the child close to them and clasp them. It's a beautiful picture of intimacy and love and affection. Well, see, that's what's being pictured here. Between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is this wonderful relationship of unity, communion, love, and affection and this is the one who's going to reveal the father and the last phrase on that says uh this one who is at the father's side or in the bosom of the father has made him known literally it's he's exegeted him he's taken the truth and he's expressed it and explained it the uh job of a pastor of a preacher is to not come up here with his own ideas but it's to exegete scripture it's to take scripture and to spell it out what it's saying to you the people of God and that's what Jesus is doing he's explaining God he's making him known Uh, and he makes him known so clearly that Jesus could say in a conversation with the disciples in the upper room when Philip said, just show us the Father. And Jesus says to Philip, Philip, have I been with you this long and you don't know me yet? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So why do you ask, show us the Father? Jesus was able to say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's revealed him. He's made him known. Paul in 2 Corinthians will say that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's his glory and his uniqueness that he reveals to us the Father. The richness and the glory of the person of Christ throughout all of this passage, but here in particular, his supreme excellency, his, his divine sufficiency, his glory as the source of all grace and truth and the wondrous re- revelation he has of the Father. May you and I know him and love him and in knowing him may we experience the blessing of his uh, hope and peace amen let's pray father in heaven we do thank you so much for the glory of your name thank you for the glory of your son and the excellence that he is the unique son of God we thank you for all the glory that we've seen in this passage. May they resonate with us in the days ahead that we might love and honor and glorify you and your Son and the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.